Well, there were at least uh, two other famous people in Spain uh, on holiday this August whilst we were there. Here's uh, Michelle Obama and her daughter Sasha uh, enjoying a time in Malaga, but unlike millions of Britons who enjoy time in Malaga, they popped across to Mallorca to meet the king and queen of Spain. There they are meeting the king of of Spain as part of their stay. No such luck for our own Deputy Prime Minister Nick Clegg. Here he is, photographed in his shorts and T-shirt coming out of a bar in a small Spanish Spanish village quite near to where we go in Spain uh, called Olmedo, where his Spanish wife, Miriam Gonzalez, uh, comes from. So Michelle Obama was meeting the Queen and Nick Clegg was staying with his (laughs) mother-in-law. The article about Nick Clegg really caught my eye because his experience is so similar to my own when I go to Spain. (laughs) The the reporter had gone around the whole village interviewing practically everybody in the village trying to find out something about Nick Clegg. The most effusive was the the owner of this bar he's uh, he's standing in front of there where Nick and his family go to breakfast about 11 o'clock each morning as you do in Spain. He went to breakfast in this bar and uh, this uh, bar owner was obviously enjoying a touch of celebrity. But most of the comments from the people were much more mundane. They were saying things like, well, he doesn't say very much. He keeps himself to himself. He tends to look after the children. Oh, yes, I know who you mean. He's the husband of Miriam. <laughs> when asked what he liked most about his holidays in, in Spain, in the village in Olmedo, Nick said um, he liked his mother-in-law's homemade croquettes. I understand what he means, because I also like the homemade croquettes that my mother-in-law does occasionally. And sometimes I also feel like a bit of an appendage on the side of this large family. And even Sylvia is known as the, uh, the English daughter, which doesn't please Sylvia very much at all. <laughs> so both Nick Clegg and I have been married to Spaniards for about 14 years. And yes, we hang around on the fringes, we speak the language, we make all the right noises, and in the final analysis, we are not one of them. And we never will be. We will simply be the husband of Miriam, or in my case, the husband of Sylvia. Whatever our role in life in other places, if we're a deputy prime minister or even the curate of Holy Trinity, we will be the husband of Sylvia or the husband of Miriam, simply outsiders. And I'm sure that some of you know what it means to be on the outside. Perhaps there's, a, there's an in-group at your workplace. Perhaps you've always fancied getting involved in the sport, but you've never been quite good enough to get on the team. Lots of other examples of being on the outside. Well, Zacchaeus and our story today should have been one of the insiders. After all, Zacchaeus was a Jew. With a name like Zacchaeus, he had to be a Jew. He was the son of Abraham, in other words, supposedly. That meant he was one of the in-crowds as one of Judaism, as far as Judaism was concerned. That's surely a good start. But also, in verse 1, he was rich. Actually, he was stinking rich. He was a businessman, an entrepreneur. His robe had pinstripes. Not only that, he was a chief. He was the area manager. He managed other people. So it's hard to think of anybody who's rich and is managing other people as a leader uh, to think of them as anything other than on the inside, isn't it? After all, how many of us walk down Newmarket Road and think, oh, those poor people living in those big houses? (laughs) Apologies to those who live on Newmarket Road. It would be great, wouldn't it, not to uh, have to worry about limited resources. 
Uh, it would be great to just go out and buy whatever we wanted, money, no object. To be rich surely is to be in the in crowd, isn't it? But actually what we very quickly find out when we read about Zacchaeus is that although he was supposed to be in, he had the right family connections, he had the position, he had the wealth, and yet when all was said and done, like myself and Nick Clegg, he was an outsider. Why? Well, it wasn't because he's short. I like short people, I married one. (laughs) But verse 2 says... (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, just pausing to see how much trouble I was in. Um, <laughs> um, verse 2 uh, says that he was a tax collector. And therefore, in the eyes of everybody, verse 7 tells us, he was a sinner. Now, I'm told that we uh, talk a lot about sin here in Holy Trinity. And most of you know what we're talking about when we talk about sin. But for those who haven't quite got hold of the concept yet, let's have a quick resume. Sin is not about breaking the law. That's crime. It's not about sex. That's what the tabloids talk about. It's not just about breaking the Ten Commandments. No sin is more like this. And I'll tell you a couple of stories. When I was in Spain, uh, again this summer, my father-in-law just got a, a, a new garden and they'd had it seeded for the first time. So the first thing we were told as we walked into the house was, don't walk on the grass. And of course, what do you want to do when somebody tells you, don't walk on the grass? You want to walk on it, don't you? That's sin. A natural rebellion against any rule, even when they're there for our own benefit. We all feel that natural rebellion. Secondly, sin is about missing the mark. An arrow missing the bullseye. That's sin too. A disappointment in not reaching the highest standard, the right standard. And the problem with the holiness of God is that his standards are very high, so high, in fact, that the Bible says we have all sinned in some way. So sin is not something that just affects the sort of people that newspapers like to call evil, murderers, rapists, and the like. No, the problem with sin is that we are all infected with it, and we're all affected by it. So Zacchaeus was a sinner, not because the crowd thought that he was, because actually their opinion didn't matter very much at all. Zacchaeus, because when when it comes to sin, we're all in the same boat. All those people in the crowd and us are all in the same boat. We've all wanted to walk on that grass, and we've all missed the bullseye at some point in our lives. It has to be said, though, that Zacchaeus was a man with more opportunity to sin than most. Verse 1 says, as we said, he's a tax collector, And verse 8 suggests that he was also a cheat. See, the tax collection system in those days was rife with corruption. Just imagine if our new government decides to make the inland revenue work entirely on a commission-only basis. So the civil servants were allowed to raise whatever taxes they liked, as long as they... And all they had to hand over was the official figure, and the rest they could keep and would go into their own pockets. If you understand what that would be like, then you can understand how Zagius came to be filthy rich. And on top of that, Zacchaeus was working for the enemy. They were were collecting Roman taxes from Jewish people, and he was doing it purely for his own profit. So unprincipled, corrupt, treacherous, Zacchaeus probably was a sinner, not only in the eyes of the crowd, but in his own eyes too, which perhaps helps to explain why he was so anxious to meet Jesus. 
Perhaps that explains why a rich man, with a tough guy image to maintain, would run down the street in front of everyone he knew and do the stupid crazy thing that is to climb up a sycamore tree, just so that he could get a better view of this preacher man as he came through. You see, the only thing that Zacchaeus had going for him is that somewhere deep in the recesses of his soul, he wanted something more. There was an emptiness in his soul. He was rich, he was powerful, but he was an outsider. Not only did he have no friends, but the crowd deliberately made his life difficult. Look at verse 2. Zacchaeus wanted to see, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. And it's not just because he was too short. That because has some a really strong sort of causative sense. It means that wherever Zacchaeus thought he had spotted a gap in the crowd, people would come and close that gap so when they saw him coming. When he found a part of the route where there was only two lines deep, others would shove along so that suddenly they'd become three or four deep. So that Zacchaeus had no chance of pushing in front of them and getting to the front. The crowd couldn't stop them stop him from collecting their taxes, but they could stop him from seeing Jesus. He'll never be one of us. We'll keep him on the outside. And perhaps that's how some of you are feeling this morning. Perhaps you've been coming to this church for a while now, or observing Christians, watching Christians that you know for some time. But somehow, perhaps because it's so weird for people to follow Christ, and it is, you deliberately stayed on the outside. Or perhaps our songs and the hymns we don't know very well, the readings, the things we like to talk about, the trust that we place in this dusty old ancient book are just incomprehensible to you. They leave you feeling on that outside too, no matter how hard you try to be one of us. And perhaps being here this morning is your equivalent to being up that sycamore tree. This isn't where you belong. Perhaps you've only come because your parents have brought you or because a friend's brought you along or because you don't know where else to go in Norwich to meet people. And here you are, up in your tree, staring down at everything that's happening here, and perhaps feeling lonely, confused, curious. Perhaps you feel that you're not good enough. Perhaps you feel like an outsider among us. And in a sense, that's fine if you're feeling like that. If you're feeling like Zacchaeus up in your your sycamore tree, it's great to have you here. We welcome you but I really wouldn't want to be you. Why? Because there's always a little bit of fear about being up a tree, isn't there? Fear because you know you're on the brink. It's a bit frightening to go forward into the unknown because going into the unknown is always frightening. But it's also frightening to go back because you've seen just enough of what it's like to be on the inside to know that you're actually missing out by being on the outside, by being not being part of this family. But it's also a bit scary because there are eternal consequences to choosing to stay on the outside. Listen to what John the Baptist had to say to people who did have Abraham as their ancestor and therefore should have been insiders, but people who thought they wanted to prefer or they preferred to stay on the outside. John the Baptist said this in Luke chapter 3, I baptize you with water, But one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals are not worthy untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. He will burn up the chaff 
with unquenchable fire. Luke goes on. And in many other words, John exhorted the people and preached to them the good news. Doesn't sound like good news, does it? When he's talking about unquenchable fire for those who remain outside of the barn. But the good news is this, that Jesus doesn't want any of you to remain on the outside. In fact, it is his entire mission, it was his entire mission when he came to earth to ensure that you don't. He came down from heaven, he lived on earth, he died and he rose again to make sure that you don't remain outside of that barn. Look at what Jesus did for Zacchaeus. He stopped, he looked up, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. See, Jesus knew Zacchaeus. He called him by name. Just as Jesus knows each one of you today. You can't hide from him. You could hide from me after the service by nipping out of the side door, but you can't hide from Jesus. The Bible says that he knows every hair on your head. He can see through the branches of your tree. He calls you by name and he says, I must stay at your house today. I must stay at your house today. And notice, he didn't do what we might have done when faced with a man like Zacchaeus. And in fact, he didn't do what most people would assume that Jesus would do if he were walking the streets of Norwich today. He didn't put on his best head teacher voice and say, Hey, you, get down here. What are you doing off that tree? How dare you be off in the tree? How dare you be in relationship with that woman? How dare you steal that money? Get down here, you filthy sinner. You see, Christ isn't like that. Christianity isn't like that. Christ says to Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. You see, Christianity is not first and foremost about rules and regulations, what you've done and what you haven't done. It's not about recognising your guilt and feeling bad about it. Christianity is first and foremost about knowing Christ. It's about meeting Jesus and doing what Zacchaeus did, which is to welcome him gladly and with joy. I wonder whether you've met Jesus in that way. Not just intellectually or second-hand through others, but have you met Jesus and welcomed him into your life? So, Zach and Jesus, they walk off together through the streets of the town, back to Zacchaeus' nice house in the suburbs. And just imagine how Zacchaeus felt at that moment. He was beginning to feel like an insider for the first time in his life, just because he had met Jesus and walked with him. But what did the crowd say about it? Verse 7, all the people, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. See, there's an assumption there, isn't there? There's an assumption that if anybody is going to be changed or influenced by this new relationship, it's going to be Jesus. He's going to be corrupted by this sinner that is Zacchaeus. There's Jesus. He talks a good game about justice and feeding the poor. And look who he's going to have lunch with. Zacchaeus, that old tax collector in his out-of-town luxury villa. You see, there's still this popular understanding, isn't there, that if if, if you're a bad person, then you shouldn't go to church because you might spoil it. Or other people might say, well, if that church attracts people like that, then you can forget it. I don't want to be a part of that. 
But verse 8 gives us the evidence of what really happened that afternoon in Jericho. In somebody else's words, Jesus talked, the neighbours talked, but Zacchaeus was changed. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, we're not told the details of this story. We don't know exactly what was said between Zacchaeus and Jesus that afternoon, but I think we can assume this. Zacchaeus met Jesus. He looked at him intently. He watched him. He listened to him. And he found that Jesus was a man who lived up to his words. He was truly good in every sense of the word. And he realized that his own life, Zacchaeus' own life, simply couldn't live up to the standards of Jesus. And no matter how hard he was going to try, he could never live up to those standards. Because just like the rest of us, he was a sinner. He had grass-walking rebellion in his heart, and he was a lousy shot with a bow and arrow. In short, he was lost on the outside of God's kingdom. And he knew that he wanted to be on the inside, but he could never get there by himself. And he realized that that is why he needed to meet Jesus. That is why Jesus needed to come and stay in his house that day. He needed a saviour. Verse 10 says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. That's why Jesus had to come and stay with Zacchaeus that afternoon, to seek and to save the lost. You see, Zacchaeus' amazing generosity in verse 8 is not about buying his way to heaven. Otherwise, it would be easy for a rich man to get to heaven And that's not what Jesus says here in chapter 18 and verse 24 on the same page. Nor was it in any way what the papers have been accusing Tony Blair of this week, paying blood money to the relatives of victims of Iraq and Afghanistan. No, this was no penance for any guilt. This is simply, verse 8, the result of Zacchaeus meeting Jesus for the first time all that energy and devotion that up to that point in time Zacchaeus had devoted to making money is now devoted to giving that same money away. It describes the joy that Zacchaeus felt about having become an insider for the first time in his life. In the words of Luke's Gospel, the sheep had turned up, the coin had been found, the son had returned home. Zacchaeus had come down from his tree He had welcomed Jesus into his life. Look, Lord, he cries in verse 8. Look, Lord, as he realizes the cost of making Jesus Lord in his life to his way of doing business. Everything is different for Zacchaeus that afternoon. Jesus says in verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house. Why? Well, it's not because Zacchaeus... Uh, was a Jew by blood. Today, that day, he has become a true son of Abraham. And it certainly wasn't because of Zacchaeus' goodness. Zacchaeus had no such qualifications before he met Jesus. No, Zacchaeus was welcomed into the family of God. He became a true son of Abraham simply because he had met Jesus and welcomed him gladly. Well, what does that mean for you? Well, none of us become insiders in God's kingdom because of who we are. No, we become insiders because Jesus came to seek and to save what was lost, because Jesus stops underneath our tree, calls us by name, 
and invites himself into our lives. The question is, will you welcome him in? Now you've got this far, you've been looking at Jesus from afar maybe. What do you make of him? What do you make of him? What, what do you think? Is what you've heard about him true? When he calls, as I believe perhaps he is now calling some of you, what will you do? Will you welcome him in? I want to change tack uh, just for a moment and speak to those of you who've already done that and do consider yourselves Christians. Is there the same evidence of change that came over Zacchaeus in your own lives? Is there that same joy and generosity and desire to right wrongs? Or perhaps put yourself in Jesus' shoes for a moment. He realised that in order to save the lost, he needed to spend time with them. He was prepared to put up with the muttering and the criticism of the crowd in order to spend time with Jesus, with Zacchaeus, sorry. Are you? So often we get the impression, don't we, that we shouldn't be spending so much time with people outside the church. But we do. We need to invest time so that they too can hear about Jesus. But I want to return to those who haven't yet welcomed Jesus into their lives because this was just a fleeting visit for Jesus to Jericho. Jesus never returned to Jericho. He was just passing through it on his way to Jerusalem where he had important work to do. This was Zacchaeus' one and only chance to meet Jesus and Jesus stopped right underneath Zacchaeus' tree. If Jesus is stopping underneath your tree this morning, then perhaps you would like to pray a prayer with me this morning, a prayer I'm going to pray in a moment. It's a simple prayer. It simply says this. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me enough to call me by name. I know that I can never save myself without you. Please come into my life today and help me to live as a member of your family from now on. So if you find in a moment you're praying that prayer with me, do please let somebody know. Please uh, tell somebody you came with or come and talk to me at the back of church. So let's uh, pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me enough to call me by name. I know that I am, I know that I can never save myself without you. Please come into my life today. And help me to live as a member of your family from now on. Amen.